It may look the same, but it's different. The drummer stole my stand. You know, drummers. <laughs> Tell you. He thinks it's better because he came and asked. <laughs> I mean, how do you even ask something like that? You know what I'm I mean, think about it. Can I use your stand? Seriously? Anyway, uh, that's good. Good worship, huh? Uh, do you guys remember being a kid? Anybody? Some of you are still kids, right? You know? Yeah, right? Being a kid was pretty awesome, right? I remember being a kid. I had fun. I love being a kid, running around, doing stuff, doing crazy things. Uh, memory just came to me. I remember as I go in, it was a, one of my friends. Maybe you guys did this, man. I was with my friend. We go to his house. He had like this huge, like empty lot next to uh, his house. And like, you know, midsummer, it was like these tall, like weeds, right? Just grassy weeds. Oh my gosh, we would run through that grassy weed playing cowboys and Indians and stuff, which is totally on PC nowadays, right? But we would run through and like diving into that grass and, you know, pretend shooting each other. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing, right? Good memories. Being a kid, right? Doing fun stuff, imagination, right? And, and doing crazy things like you just would like, you, know, you could hurt yourself, right? Stuff like jumping off your bike, right? You know, I was always a little, you know, I didn't like pain. So I didn't do a lot of crazy things. So jumping off a bike, you know, you know, you're doing any kind of jumps with a bike, eh, that kind of, kind of wasn't me. I always kind of like get scared and, you know, I do a little bunny hop or something. I go, oh, did you guys see that? And they're like, seriously, that's nothing. But anyway, so, uh, you know, we as kids, right, we just have this mentality sometimes of just kind of invincibility, right? We, we just live our life kind of just uh, a little bit haphazardly, a little crazy, just kind of not really thinking about things. And, and we just kind of run through life, having a good time and, and do crazy things that are actually really dangerous sometimes. But, you know, if you're 40 or older, you, you're, you're kind of the danger level probably was a little bit less than what we have today. And, and here's why. See, when, when you're 40 or older, you had video games, right? They were just coming out, video games. But, uh, you know, she so had like things like Pac-Man, right? Uh, Centipede, right? I mean, some of these just great games, you know, uh, you know, the Atari games that they had as well. Like, yeah, what was that one where they run and jump over the ponds and the gators and stuff? Pitfall. Oh, man, what a great game. But see, we learned something in those games, right? You had three lives, Right? So, I mean, that's better than what we have, you know, human speaking, right? We got one life. But, you know, we had three lives in Pac-Man, right? And, and if you did really well, maybe you'd get an extra bonus life. But here's the deal. When your three lives were gone, you went back to the beginning. I mean, it was over. It was done. There was no, like, you know, moving on to the next level. I mean, it was, you were finished, right? There was no hope for you finishing, getting any further in the game. You had to start over from scratch, the beginning, that easy first level that was just like, oh, come on, I have to, you know, you memorize the first level, right? Because you have to do it so many times, right? And, and you get through it faster and faster, but still, you had to start all the way back from the beginning. Today, it's different. And it started with my kids. My kids got video games and you know, Xboxes, you know, Playstations and stuff like started coming out. And they started coming out with games where you saved your progress. 
right? So you could start where you left off last time, or you know, you could be playing along, and if you lost your three lives, well, you just went back to the last place you saved. You didn't have to go all the way back to the beginning, right? And so this generation, I think, they don't have this appreciation of life as much as we did as older folks, because they like, oh, I got all kinds of lives. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I'll finish this game eventually because I keep getting more lives, keep moving on, right? I think this is why we have something like parkour today, right? I mean, think about it. Parkour, right? That's just crazy. You know, our, our generation would not have done that. That was just too much. But today, I mean, it's all over the place. Anyway, so we have this sense of invincibility when we're younger. And that will continue for most of our lives, it seems like, or at least until something happens to kind of say, oh, yeah, you're not so invincible after all. But also think about this. You know, our minds, right? I mean, how many of you, how many in here are in your mind are like 22 or 23, right? Come on, yeah, all of us, right? We're all we're in our minds, like we are young, right? Isn't that weird? You, you, you just have this, you get, I, I don't know what age it is, but there's some point in your development and you're growing older that all of a sudden your mind like stops getting older. It's not that you don't keep learning things, but you just, you're stuck. Like I'm 23, right? I, that's, that's the great day, right? That's, that's who I am. That's my age, right? And so we live that out. Don't I look 23? I look 23, don't I? I feel 23. I, I think 23, right? Maybe not. But uh, anyway, so, and I think this is, this is actually, I, I think God put this in our created design, right? I, I, I think he, he, there's this little hint in our DNA and in the way that we're made and in our minds. This hint that says that we were made to be eternal. You know, this, this hint, this perspective that's kind of there just naturally in our, in, our, in our minds and in the way we live. That just kind of says, no, no, we're made for eternity. We're made to live forever. Of course, the reality is, and, and many of us have begun to recognize this, if not fully have come to understand, that we don't live forever, at least not this side of heaven, right? The death is a reality. And the truth is that we as young people will continue to live in a sense of invincibility until we come to that point where we're confronted by death. Some of us, that happens maybe early on. Uh, maybe a family member, maybe a parent or a close family member, a brother or a sister who passes away when we're young, maybe in our teen years or before. For others of us, it takes a lot longer for us maybe to be confronted with death. We can get away with it in, in through our 20s and maybe even to our 30s before we really have to face it. And some of us can face it just because of loved ones or friends that we know that end up having to face that and die. But others of us face it because of our own struggles in life. Kids that come down with leukemia, immediately their life changes. They recognize the brevity of life in an amazing and powerful and scary way. But see, there's something amazing about this confrontation with death. Because in it, there is a blessing. You know, we don't, we don't think about death or our confrontation with it as being a blessing. But actually, God has given us death as a way to bless us. 
You know, death began back in creation, right? I mean, Adam and Eve were created perfect. They were created eternal. They were going to live forever, and then they sinned, right? And then God kicked them out of the garden and kept them from eating from the tree of life. And death entered the world for the first time. But that death was actually, in part, a blessing. You see, it's because of death that we recognize that something's not right. It's when we have to face the reality in the shortness, the brevity of our life, or the, the reality is that this is not the end, or that this could be the end, that, that tomorrow, who knows, that the fact that we have to face that causes us to begin to reevaluate what's going on. Causes us to reevaluate our life. You see, when we're confronted with death, it challenges our sense that we are in control. See, we think that we can just kind of do it ourselves. We can control our futures, that, that our, our future is dependent on our own decisions, that, you know, if I just make the good decisions, I'm going to live a good life, and I'm going to be able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. We looked at success last week, right, and how we can continue to look for success in the future. We keep pursuing that and striving for that, and we think, ah, we can do this, and, and it's the same with our sense of our whole life. But as soon as we are confronted by death, all of a sudden we go, wait a second. I'm out of control. I mean, a friend of yours dies in a car accident. They were, you just did coffee with them in the morning, and then in the afternoon, it's, they're gone. family member who struggles with cancer and fights it for two or three years and then finally succumbs to the disease and dies. When we're confronted by death, it brings a soberness to life oftentimes. All of a sudden, it's not just all fun and games. Wait a second. It could be over tomorrow. It causes us to reevaluate. But it also causes feelings of fear not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. It can even lead to a sense of desperation when we recognize that there's nothing we can do about it. We recognize that anything could happen, and tomorrow, you know, I could be in a car accident. Tomorrow, I could come down with cancer. Tomorrow, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, and so we can get desperate trying to figure out what are we going to do But being confronted with our physical death is just one death that we can be confronted with. There's a second death that is even perhaps more deadly, if it could be so. And that's a spiritual death. All of us will come face to face with that reality at some point as well. And this has to do with our value of our life. Whether or not we were enough, whether or not we deserve eternity, whether or not we deserve heaven. 
when we're faced with our eternal death and the reality that, oh my gosh, not only am I going to die physically, but if I, don't, if I don't live rightly, I could also die spiritually and spend an eternity in torment. As Matthew 13, 12 says, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth for all eternity. We can fall into dread when we recognize that we're destined for wrath. When we're confronted by death, there's a couple of ways that we can respond. And, and I think most of us, at least at some point in our life, fight death. That's our first, I think, initial response is, is we want to fight against it. We're like, wait, no, wait a second. This can't be. I, I'm not going to give in to the reality of death. I'm going to try to fight against it. So we clamor for control. Uh, trying to maybe build a huge wealth so that we can have lots of money around us and lots of security so we can live in safer places so that we can have some kind of sense that we are secure, that we have power over what's going to happen tomorrow. So, you know, I don't have to live in a house where there's danger and there's, there's shooting on the streets or there's things that I could accidentally fall into or where there's a lot of crime or, you know, whatever. So we're like, I, I got to make more money so I can get out of there so I can be in a safer place so I can control when I'm going to die or not. Others, others of us fight it by seeking to sustain our beauty, a very physical thing. We, we, you know, this is where surgeries come in, plastic surgery, and we're trying to make ourselves continue to look young, right? Continue to look like our mind thinks we are, right? But we're trying to fight off death. We don't want to look like we're dying. We don't want to look like we're aging. We want to look like we're young and vibrant and things are still going and we're still in control. Some of us live frantically we begin to try to accomplish all kinds of things when we're confronted with death we realize oh my gosh there's so much in this world i want to enjoy so many things i want to experience and so we begin to live frantically every moment is is taken it's got to, we got to do something with it we've got to move it we got to experience something else we've got to go to all these places we got to enjoy all that life has to offer we live frantic lives constantly beating ourselves encouraging ourselves getting ourselves never sleeping never resting never slowing down always moving 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 we got to do the next thing the final way that we can fight death is actually more of a capitulation to it in some sense, it's through depression. Some of us get here faster than others. Some of us have to go through all three of the other ways of interacting or dealing with fighting against death before we get here. But oftentimes we experience depression, apathy about life. You know, if I can't control it and I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, so why do I even live? Why even try? Suicide is often something that finally comes to the mind of those who are depressed. It's like their last desperate attempt to control death by choosing when it's going to come. Our world attempts to comfort our fears of death. They will say things like, you know, you lived a good long life. It's okay. 
Or maybe, you know, you were a really good person or they were a really good person. I mean, just think of all the nice things that they did for people. Or maybe, man, a lot of people loved, loved her. Look at how many people showed up to her memorial service. Wow, she really had a big impact. We as Christians can fall into this fight against death as well. Even though we've been given the gift of eternal life, even though we know that death is just a transition from this life to the next, we can still try to fight against our physical death. But thank God we have a book like Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it's brought to this book actually just in my regular reading this last week. I think it was a timely addition to my reading, but also to this message to be reminded of the truth of Ecclesiastes, where we have this guy who has done everything he can to try to control in his life. He's trying to control the impact. He's trying to have, you know, enjoy all that's out there. He's lived this frantic life. He's lived this crazy life. He's done all of these things. And in the end, what does he say? It's all meaningless. Vanity. Talks about how the righteous live their life, but yet they die young. And then there's others who are unrighteous and evil, and then they live this long life. So what's the point of living right or living wrong? What's the point of trying to extend our life? What's the point of having pleasure? What's the point of all of this? Because in the end, we all die. What's even the point of having a legacy? Because we all will be forgotten. Those who don't know Jesus, this is what they face. This is the struggle they have when they are confronted with death. They try to fight maybe against it, but then there's this reality that they know that even their fighting is not going to be successful. I would say there may be some non-Christians in this world who have never opened up a Bible, but would be able to quote maybe some of the passages from Ecclesiastes because they have experienced it themselves already. The world tries to comfort their fears. The world tries to give them some sense of it's going to be okay, but every time those comfort, that comfort fails because they're still unknown for tomorrow. Death is still on their doorstep, and they're still out of control. So fighting against death is one way to respond when we're confronted by it. But there's another way, a way that's outlined in Scripture. And again, this is the blessing of being confronted by death. God can use our confrontation to death to bring us into his kingdom. To point out the reality that life is not what it should be. That actually we have all been created for something more. But the only way that we can enjoy that something more is actually to surrender our lives to Jesus. Romans 12.1 
Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We choose to die, not literally, not physically. We choose to give up our life in order to gain life. When we realize that we have no control over death, yet there's something inside us that craves life, that craves to get past death, and then we have a friend maybe that comes to us and tells us about the love of Jesus. It's an opportunity to surrender to Jesus. Those who choose to surrender their life to Jesus when confronted by death, they respond differently. They respond with love and sacrifice for others. They're not clamoring to try to get control. Love is what begins to exude out of them because now they realize that their life is secure. Yes, they'll face death, but they have a security for all eternity in Jesus' hands. They begin to recognize that true beauty has to do with godly character, not what we look like on the outside. And so they begin to, to work on and, and allow the Holy Spirit to do surgery on our own hearts in order to change us so that we can be living and behaving and obe obeying Jesus. Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus are also those who live with patience patiently enjoying life. There's no, there's no franticness to the life of a Christian. We live day to day in the moment, not feeling like we have to accomplish something in order to make that day worth it. Because we know every day is worth it as long as we're following Jesus wherever he leads. And instead of depression at the end, we find optimism throughout. Life takes on an optimistic feel to it. There's joy that fills our heart. The fact that we no longer have to fear death is an amazing reality that brings joy to us. This is the thing that all humanity is fighting against. No, I don't want to die. This, you know, God has made us with this eternal mindset to live forever. And we, this is why we fight against death so much is because we realize this is not true. This is not real. This is not natural. This is not what I was created for. Once we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, then all of a sudden joy fills our life because we realize now we are living the way we are created for, that we now have all eternity to look forward to. We look to the future with anticipation, not fear. We don't worry about tomorrow anymore because we know the one who controls tomorrow. It is only when we choose to surrender to our life to Jesus that we find true comfort. This is the passage before us, Romans chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This is the kind of comfort that we receive. It's a true comfort. It's an eternal comfort. It's a comfort that actually works, that actually brings peace to our hearts. 
We no longer have to struggle or fight to survive. We can relax and rest in the capable hands of Jesus. It's not that we're not active. It's not that we just sit back and don't do anything. No, Christians are very, very productive. But it's not their own production. It's Jesus' production. Passages like 2 Corinthians 5, 8, where to be absent from the body means that we're present from the Lord, gives us hope. That when we die, it's not the end. Where, O death, is thy sting? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Again, this points out the fact that we no longer fear death because we know what happens afterwards. And then Romans 6, 8. If we die with him, with Jesus, we will live with him. We have a resurrection to look forward to. Now, this comfort that we receive is real. It's powerful. It's meaningful. It, it, it actually works. It actually is comforting. But understand that this comfort does not remove pain or mourning. We will still mourn when we lose a loved one. It still will be painful. It should be. May it always be for us as believers. Because in that morning, we are celebrating once again the value of life. That God did create us. But more than that, we're celebrating the reality that we're meant for eternity. And so when it ends, it's like, no, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. A reason, indeed, to mourn. So it'll still be hard to lose a close friend or family member. And it'll still be a reason for us to reevaluate. May every memorial service we go to be an opportunity for us to do an internal check on our perspective on life. Are we fighting death like the way the world does? Or have we surrendered our life fully to Jesus, trusting him for our future, trusting him with our very life? Worship team, why don't you come up? We'll give some closing thoughts, and then we're going to go into communion. So if you have your communion element, get that out and ready to go. If you don't have one of these, then uh, there's uh, over by the table over there, by I think Donna's sitting over there, you can find one of those for communion this morning. So just a few questions to leave you with again this morning. I think questions are a good way to end a sermon. My hope is that these questions will go with you. And that you'll evaluate and ask these, ask these questions of yourself, but also answer them. So the first question is, have you been confronted by death? I recognize there may be some in here that haven't. Maybe there's not been anybody close to you that you've had to watch die or had died before you or with you or you knew who died. Maybe you've closed yourself off to it so much that you're not even sensitive to it anymore. 
unwilling to even go there or think about death? Have you been confronted by death? Once you've asked that, answered that question, you can go on to the next one, which of course is, are you fighting death? Or are you surrendering to Jesus? Evaluate your life and how you live. Why are you living that way? Are you scrambling and clamoring and trying to build wealth so that you can somehow control life? Are you frantically trying to get ahead or frantically trying to experience all you can? Why? Is it because you're fighting death instead of surrendering to Jesus? And then finally, and I think this is really important for us because we're a church, this is mostly Christians here. So the assumption is when I present a message like this is that you have been confronted by death. And my assumption is that you have surrendered your life to Jesus. But the next question is the so what? Who do you know who's currently being confronted by death? We're in a world right now, a nation right now, has had 180,000 deaths that weren't expected at the beginning of the year. I know there haven't been a lot in our community, and we can praise the Lord for that. But who do you know who is currently being confronted by death? Can you share the love of Jesus with them? Is there an opportunity to step in and help them to realize that there is true comfort? Comfort that'll last? Comfort that's not just a bunch of platitudes? This is our calling. This is our life. This is what those who have been blessed with a relationship with Jesus are meant to do, to pass on that blessing to others. As we consider death, it's not unfitting for us to also consider the one who died for us. Amen? The one whose death has actually made it so that our death is not the end. The one whose death who opened up the gates of heaven for us, opened up the gates of eternity for us. Jesus, of course. So it's fitting for us to do communion at the end of this message, to be reminded of the fact that death is not the end. Not because that we're going to defeat it, but because Jesus has defeated it. For us to be reminded again that there is hope for tomorrow because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus is not still dead. He's alive and well. He's active and among us. It's because of his resurrection that we have hope to be resurrected ourselves. And so let's take some time to give thanks and give praise to the one who willingly came and gave his life to pay for our sin and to defeat death and open up the door to eternity. Communion, of course, is that opportunity to remember what Jesus has done. I just want to encourage you if uh, you maybe you know the Lord, but you're not a member of this church. We as Alliance Church, we actually practice open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member here in order to practice communion with us, to enjoy communion with us. 
All you have to be is part of the family of God. And if that's you, then we invite you to enjoy to join us this morning. This is a family meal. It's a family meal where we spend some moments of our time to remember the one who's at the head of the table. To give thanks and gratitude for him, to him for what he's done. Paul does a great job of describing this to the Corinthian church, this communion. He's trying to correct them because they're kind of messing things up with communion, not doing it right. And so he says, no, 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 this is the way it's supposed to be done. And he's got this, some great words here that you've heard many times and we'll use them again this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this bread together in remembrance of our amazing and powerful and loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your amazing goodness. Jesus, thank you for so willingly coming to be a part of this world, to suffer and to die for us. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it today. But you did it for us anyway because of your amazing and unconditional love. Lord, we once again just proclaim your goodness and our thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for defeating death and giving us an example of what we have to look forward to, resurrection from death into eternal life in your kingdom for all time. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. And Paul goes on. He says, in the same way he also took the cup Jesus did after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink this cup in remembrance of the amazing shed blood of Jesus which washes over us and cleanses us from all sin. Thank you, Jesus, for... Dealing with our sin on the cross, Lord, every one of us deserves to die for our sin. We all deserve not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. But because of your amazing grace and love for us, you poured out your blood and offered forgiveness for our sin. You offered us a righteous and perfect relationship and life. But it only comes when we choose to surrender to you. And Lord, we, by taking this cup again, declare our surrender to you. You are Lord and Savior of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me, and uh, i got a couple of songs. Let's sing those and belt them out to our Lord and continued praise to him. And then I'll come up and close our service with a passage in just a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that says these 
things. Romans chapter 8, 31 and following, familiar verses, but so fitting for this message and this end of this, mes- end of this service. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He does indeed comfort us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And God bless. Have a great day. And one more song if you want to sing it. Go. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You are the life the light that's in my soul oh your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart when waters rise i lift my eyes up to your throne we are more than conquerors through christ you have overcome this world this life we will not bow to sin or to shame we are defiant in your name you are the fire that cannot be tamed you are the power in our veins our lord our god our conqueror i will sing unto the night christ is risen and on high greater is he living in me than in the world no surrender no retreat we are free and we're redeemed we will declare over despair you are our hope we are more than conquerors through christ you have overcome this world this life we will not bow to sin or to shame chain is breakable with you we are victorious you are stronger than our hearts you are greater than the dark with you we are
shame We are defiant in your name You are the fire that cannot be tamed You are the power in our veins Our Lord, our God, our conqueror